Hello and welcome back to the Everyday Christian Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 19. We are rapidly winding down the season with just a few episodes to go. Certainly appreciate you, the listener, tuning in all season long. Appreciate you bearing with me uh, for most of this season, just uh, riding solo on uh, this particular season of the podcast. Again, we've looked at uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude as well this season, but we've got a few other topics scattered throughout. And one of those topics that I wanted to talk about this particular episode is preaching the whole counsel of God. So today I hope that uh, maybe we have some preachers that are listening. And preachers, I want you to think about something that is very serious every time you take the pulpit at the congregation where you preach. And that is that you are responsible for the things that you preach or neglect to preach to the flock of God. You know, uh, maybe you're just an everyday Christian who is listening to this. Maybe you don't preach, or maybe you've preached a time or two, but not uh, typically uh, in the pulpit very much. But regardless, uh, those who take the pulpit and preach to the flock of God, we are responsible for those things. I hope that we certainly will take this seriously. Uh, Maybe you're not a preacher. Maybe you're just an everyday Christian. But uh, I want you to think about the responsibility that your preacher has and hopefully encourage him to keep the faith and keep preaching the truth. So preachers such as myself really need to let the seriousness of uh, the occasion of preaching God's Word, really let that sink in because uh, it's no laughing matter. This is something that is extremely serious. I'm reminded of uh, my first day, or maybe it was the second day, at uh, preaching school, at the Memphis School of Preaching. And we had our little welcome packets that we were filling out. We had to fill out some paperwork. And one of those pages in the welcome packet said uh, something to this effect. It it read us uh, James 3, verse 1, which says, "'My brethren, let not many of you become teachers.'" knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Now, after listing that verse, it said something to this effect, Do you know, do you understand the meaning of this verse, and are you willing to take it seriously, essentially? And, you know, if you're if you're not willing to take upon yourself the uh, responsibility that comes with being a teacher of God's Word, then you don't need to be a preacher. We have a tremendous responsibility to handle carefully, to handle aright the word of truth. So that's what we want to talk about this particular episode of the podcast. We want to start by talking about preaching the whole counsel of God. I want to go to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17, what we have is uh, the account of Paul's leaving Ephesus. Now, he had spent quite some time... Uh, at the congregation at Ephesus, he had gotten to know them. He labored among them. He, I'm sure he uh, he wept with them. He he was probably there for you know their births and uh, just the whole nine yards of what goes with being a located minister. You know, and and I use that term minister, which is even better than preacher. Although preacher is a good term as well, but minister has the idea of serving one another. So preaching, yes, but also serving the Christians there. And that's what Paul was doing at Ephesus. But in Acts chapter 20, he is leaving that particular congregation. He's got some other places to go. 
And I want to begin reading in verse number 17. It says, From Miletus, he that is Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, that is uh, Asia Minor, where Ephesus was located, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. Notice that Paul did not hold anything back from the things that they needed to hear to live godly lives. He taught them, not only in the public assembly, but also from house to house as well, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So you think about this. Paul is saying, look, the Holy Spirit has said in every city, has uh, testified, has prophesied, or uh, allowed men to prophesy through the Holy Spirit, saying that chains and tribulation, those are the things that Paul has to look forward to when he goes to Jerusalem. So not exactly uh, a pleasant thought for Paul, but none of these things move me, he says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. Of course, you can read that famous passage about Paul finishing his race in uh, 2 Timothy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Gospel, uh, the good news, the euangelion, uh, which, uh, from which we get our word evangelism, and then the grace of God. Uh, wonderful grace of God, were it not for God's grace, we would not have hope. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you, to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Now hold that thought in verse number 26, because in a little bit we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 3, and notice a very important connection there. So he says he's free from the blood of all men, and then he says, verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's the title of this particular episode, Preaching the Whole Counsel of God. Paul made sure and did that. Verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he's speaking to the elders here. Uh, another synonymous term for the elders is overseers. And the Holy Spirit is the one who made them overseers of the Ephesus congregation. To shepherd the church of God, another term for elders would be shepherds. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, that tells us that this is serious business, doesn't it? The church was purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So whose name is on the deed then? Well, Jesus' name is on the deed. So, again, uh, he is the head of the church. This is very serious business, and we need to make sure that we're truly proclaiming his word. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, from even the elders, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You think about that. Paul was the local preacher 
at the Ephesus Church of Christ for three years. That's a long time. Long time that he was there uh, with them, uh, again, weeping alongside them. Uh, I'm sure probably preached funerals there at Ephesus. Uh, the whole nine yards, everything that goes in into ministry. Paul was there for those moments, and he preached faithfully to them, not only publicly, but also from house to house. Three years, and he says that he warned night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You know, it wasn't about money. Now, was Paul against uh, a minister being paid for his work? No, just go and read uh, 1 Corinthians. I think it's chapter 9. He talks about those who, uh, you know, the Lord has ordained that those who preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And it's talking about making their living of the gospel. But there were times when uh, Paul did not accept money uh, for his labors in the gospel because there were Judaizers running around. You can see this in First and Second Corinthians. Uh, there were Judaizers running around and uh, would have used that against him, would have uh, labeled him as somebody who was just in it for the money. So he didn't always use that that uh, privilege to uh, live of the gospel. So he had to work a side job. He had to uh, be a tent maker to provide for himself. And so it says, uh, verse number 34, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Such a poignant passage uh, dealing with Paul's departure with the uh, church at Ephesus and specifically the elders there meeting him. And, and they leave one another weeping. It's very important to note that Paul preached the whole counsel of God. Also, it's of note that he wasn't in it for the money, as we said, verse number 33 and following. And also, they wept when he left. And I think that's important. Uh, those of us who are preachers, again, uh, ministers, uh, we need to truly minister, truly serve the congregations wherein we preach. And I want us to remember this. If we're not willing to weep alongside them, while we are uh, ministering among them, then don't be surprised if they don't weep, you know, when we eventually part ways, like uh, Paul and Ephesus did here. You know, there's the old story, and I don't know if it's just a, uh anecdotal story or if it really happened, but they say that one time there was a preacher, and uh, his U-Haul trailer was, was uh, leaving town, and the congregation was there, and they were just hollering and clapping, and yay, he's finally gone, right? Well, hopefully that would never be the case uh, for those of us who are uh, Christians uh, or preachers, uh, Christian preachers. Uh, hopefully that would never be the case. Hopefully the congregation would be sorrowful that we departed because we truly uh, lived among them in a proper way and truly served them as best we could. So preaching the whole counsel of God... Preachers, we are accountable to God for the message that we preach or fail 
to preach. We are accountable just like the watchman. Remember we said we're going to look at Ezekiel. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, beginning in verse number 17, Ezekiel is told, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. Now remember in Acts chapter 20 we said that Paul was free from the blood of all men. You think that Paul was thinking about this passage? I think he probably was. Uh, It says in verse number 19, Yet if he warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. So this is talking about somebody who started off righteously, but then left the way of righteousness. God says, look, you were righteous, but you're not anymore. That righteousness that you used to have is not going to do you any good. You're going to be punished, but also the one who neglected to warn that person who departed. By the way, just as a side note, what does this show uh, about one standing who who leaves the faith? Uh, he's lost again, isn't he? This is an Old Testament example of that. There are many New Testament examples as well. But the idea of once saved, always saved uh, is as false as false can be. Verse number 21, it says, Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. I'm reminded of Romans 6, verses 1 and following. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. So we have to preach that message. Well, we have to be like the watchman. And in order to be like God's watchman, to be like Ezekiel, I want us to think about what all pertains to preaching the whole counsel of God. Preaching the whole counsel of God includes preaching just like Second Timothy 4 verse 2 describes. This was our motto at the Memphis School of Preaching. Preach the Word. Notice it doesn't say preach the opinions of man. It doesn't say preach popular psychology. It doesn't say uh, preach the latest self-help book that comes down the pike. Um, it doesn't say preach uh, current events. Now, sometimes we can find... Uh, We can find lessons that pertain to the Word of God that happen to uh, also pertain to current events. That's fine, but current events should not be what we're preaching. What we're preaching should be the Word as it applies to those current events. So preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, be ready when people want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Convince, rebuke. Exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Now, convince is uh, in the uh, King James Version. It says, reprove. 
Sometimes, uh, I know when I was younger, I always thought reprove and rebuke were the same thing. That's actually not the case. The New King James Version kind of clears that up. It says convince. And what that means is we are to convict people with the gospel. We need to tell people, look, you are a sinner who needs to repent and be converted. You need to uh, obey the gospel. So convict them of those things. Convince them. Uh, use Christian evidences. Uh, use the idea of 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give an answer, give a defense uh, to every man that asks you, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Uh, apologia. So that's the idea there of convincing people of the truth, but also rebuking, you know, and particularly those of us who are Christians, but we've gone back into various sins. We need rebuking. We need to be uh, brought back in line. Sometimes we even need kind of a harsh reminder. Uh, I call them red sermons, and what I mean by that is uh, I have a sermon sermon planning uh, documented on my on my computer, and I've got a lot of green sermons, and those are you know, uh, encouraging sermons, those are not going to rock the boat by any means. Uh, you know, sermons such as love and different things like that. But then I've also got some yellow sermons, and I've got a few of those mixed in, and those are uh, basically a little bit more on uh, on the uh, get-your-attention <laughs> scale. But then I've got a few red sermons, and those are the, as we used to say in the old days, hellfire and brimstone sermons. And I don't have a ton of those, but I do have a few every year. And, of course, the goal there is to get people's attention. You know, sometimes we need a wake-up call, and we need to make sure that we are, you know, on the straight and narrow. So rebuke. And then exhort. And that is, of course, the idea of encouragement, edifying, uh, building one another up. We need a well-balanced diet of all of these things in preaching. Then it says, with all long-suffering and teaching, we don't need to forget that uh, people are people, and uh, being what we should be in Christ is a growth process. It takes time, and hopefully through the process of time, we will find ourselves all uh, further along and and more Christ-like as we grow. But we need to be long-suffering with one another in realizing that that, again, does take time. And then teaching. Uh, We need teaching. We need doctrine, uh, which is very, very important. We also need to preach the principles found in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, it is God-breathed, theonoustos, God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And We won't rehash that, but that's essentially the same ideas as what we looked at with convincing, rebuking, exhorting in 2 Peter 4.2. So it's profitable profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete. King James Version says perfect. It's the idea of completion, though. Complete in Christ, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to equip the brethren through our preaching. Also, we need to preach like Titus chapter 2. I'm going to turn and read most of that chapter. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, it says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, for healthy teaching, sound, healthy doctrine. 
that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Incidentally, you could find uh, enough information to do a topical sermon on every one of these items, and uh, you could have a long sermon series on uh, teaching Christians to be sober, so there's one sermon, and then reverent, there's another one, and then temperate, then sound in faith, etc. But uh, this is a great list, and we need preaching through it. In patience, uh, verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women. Incidentally, notice here that we're, we're talking about mentoring the next generations of Christians, the older men and women teaching the younger women and men. Uh, so it says, uh, teach the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That is serious business, isn't it? That the word of God does not uh, is not blasphemed. That is tremendously important. I've got that underlined in my Bible. Likewise, exhort young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. He goes on and he talks about servants and uh, how they should be as well. And then I want to look at verse number 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The opportunity to be saved has appeared through Jesus Christ for all men. But we have to go out and preach that message so that people can hear it and obey it. Teaching us. Notice the grace of God teaches us something. Teaches us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live. There is a proper way to live as Christians. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That tells us that we have to live a certain way. It tells us, the grace tells us, teaches us, we have to deny certain things. We need sermons on worldliness. We need sermons on materialism. We need sermons on covetousness and idolatry, all the different sinful patterns that Christians sometimes get themselves caught up in. Lust and uh, sexual sin and, and all kinds of things, gossip, lying. We need sermons on those things so that we can uh, purify the body, if you will, re- removing those sinful things from the body. Well, I want to emphasize the last verse here in Titus chapter 2. It says, Speak these things. You know, Titus being a young minister of uh, the gospel, Paul reminds him to speak these things. Exhort, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Now, Titus wasn't an apostle, but guess what? He still had all authority to preach the things that Christ and the apostles taught. It says, let no one despise you. You know, I'm reminded of First uh, Timothy 4.12, uh, let no man despise your youth, Timothy, but be an example to the believers. And so Titus had that responsibility as a young minister, and I need reminding of this uh, as a young minister. And, uh, any other ministers who are listening to this, I hope that you will remind yourself of the importance of preaching these things with the proper mindset. Well, we also need to preach Jesus Christ. You know, really, 
That goes without saying, but it is such an important thing that perhaps we might overlook. Preaching Jesus Christ is what it is all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse number 18. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, through its own wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, through the foolishness of preaching, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, that is, those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. If there were such a thing as the foolishness of God, there's not. But if there were, and if there was such a thing as the weakness of God, there's not. But if there were, it'd still be wiser and stronger, infinitely, than anything man has to offer. So we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He died for us. And again, the Greeks, they're like, what? You're telling me that God died for me? You see, they couldn't wrap their mind around that. Uh, the Jews, they didn't want to wrap their mind around it because of their pride and in their nation, and they were expecting an earthly king. So, well, show us a sign. Show us a sign. If you're really the king, show us a sign. You see, they misunderstood it. We have to preach Jesus Christ. He died for us. He rose again. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and following. And uh, the gospel and obedience to the gospel. Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 2. We also need to uh, preach in preaching Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. What did they need to understand before they were baptized? They needed to understand some things about the, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, which the name of Jesus Christ carries the authority of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, verse 35 expands on this thought a little more. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, that is, if you read a few verses prior, it's talking about Isaiah chapter 53. So Philip opened his mouth, he began at that scripture, Isaiah 53, and he preached Jesus to him. Well, what evidently did preaching Jesus include? Going all the way back to Isaiah 53. Well, Isaiah 53 is the passage dealing with the suffering servant of Jesus Christ ultimately culminating in his, his death for us, and also in preaching Jesus, he came around to teaching baptism. And that's why the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized shortly thereafter. In fact, he, he asked 
to be baptized. He said, look, here's water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Uh, That's uh, verse number 37. And he gives a confession there, by the way. He says, I do. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They both go down into the water uh, after stopping the chariot. He he baptizes him, and uh, you can read the rest of the story. Also in Acts, I want to look at Acts chapter 18. I love this particular verse. Acts chapter 18, verse number 8. It says, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Isn't that a succinct example of obeying the gospel? Hearing, believing, and being baptized. Of course, uh, repentance and confession is also included and I'm sure implied in this verse. Well, we need to preach Jesus, but finally we also need to preach things that the world considers controversial. We need to preach the truth about denominationalism. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He goes on to describe how it was declared to him by the household of Chloe that there were divisions among them. They were dividing up over who had baptized them, and they totally missed the point in so doing. And he condemns the early denominational, we would say, division there at Corinth. John chapter 17, Jesus Christ prays before you know uh, before he goes to his cross. He's praying, and what is he praying for? Well, he's praying for his apostles, and he's also praying for those who would follow after them as well. He says over and over again in John chapter 17, he prays that they would be one. Ephesians chapter 4, also uh, the seven ones, certainly... Uh, Many of the things that we are united on, the seven ones, one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, etc. Um, but uh, those aren't the only things that we must be united on, but that is a, uh, certainly uh, part of what we have to be united on in Ephesians chapter 4. But uh, that's a good passage that describes the unity that we must have in the body of Christ. Denominationalism shatters that unity, and so we have to preach on that. Uh, we need to preach about the truth of uh, marriage and family roles. Ephesians chapter chapters 5 and 6, the uh, proper roles of husbands and wives in the home. Husbands are to love their wives, just as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit to their husbands. That's not popular today, but we have to preach that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, children are to obey their parents and honor their parents, and that doesn't happen uh, too often these days because sometimes we see children running the home, don't we? Well, we have to preach that. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. Husbands are to dwell with their wives according to knowledge. And uh, marriage is called uh, the grace of life in 1 Peter chapter 3. I love that particular passage dealing with marriage. So we need to preach these things. We need to preach Matthew chapter 19. Such a controversial chapter, and it has been for some time. Why has it been controversial for some time? Well, the divorce rate in our country has been hovering around 50% uh, for quite some time. And many, many people find themselves in uh, 
compromised situations dealing with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But Matthew chapter 19, verse number 9, is is very plain. It says, uh, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, uh, more properly, uh, porneia there would be fornication. Uh, Whoever divorces his wife except for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. That's controversial. But, brethren, I would like you to back up to verse number 4. And guess what? Verse number 4 is controversial today. But that doesn't change the truth of it. Verse number 4, it says, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? That's controversial today. We have people who are... Uh, wearing dresses and calling themselves females when they were born males. That is utter absurdity. It's terrible. It is... It is... It's hard to, to bring words to how perverse that is. But that's the world we're living in today. People are rejecting the truth of God. They're rejecting the truth of biology plain and simple. And so that's controversial today, but we still have to preach it. Jesus goes on, verse 5, he says, And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. God hates divorce. Malachi 2, I think it's uh, verse 18 if I'm not mistaken. God hates divorce. We have to preach that. Lest we uh, come away from verse number 9 confused, I always like to point out verses 10 through 12. It says, His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. What did the disciples understand about what Jesus had just said? There are a lot of people that are going to find themselves in unscriptural marriages based on the teaching of Matthew verse 9 of chapter 19. Therefore, the logical conclusion that the disciples came to was, well, if that's the case, it's better not even to get married lest you accidentally find yourself in this bad situation, unscriptural and condemned. Verse number 11, Jesus says, uh, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. You know, there are lots of truths in God's Word that not everyone is going to accept. But those who truly accept God's Word, and take it at face value, they will accept what this says. And it's not hard to understand. Uh, You have to make it hard to understand by twisting the Scriptures. Uh, Verse number 12, Jesus puts the nail in the coffin to any confusion that somebody might have in this section. He says, For there are eunuchs, eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. If you're willing to take the Word of God at face value, take it at face value, in other words. There are people who have made themselves eunuchs, that is, they have uh, taken on a, a totally celibate life for the rest of their life because of the very situation that Jesus mentioned there, to avoid sexual sin, adultery. We've got to preach that. Well, let's move on, and we're already over time for this episode, but 
Romans chapter 1 is another one we need to preach. Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. That goes along with what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, just a moment ago. And then also from Romans chapter 1, we need to look at uh, verses 18 and following. Romans 1, verses 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. We need to preach the wrath of God. Uh, We need to preach the imprecatory psalms. Sometimes we get we find ourselves uncomfortable with that language, uh, those psalms where David is saying things like, break the teeth of the wicked, but that's what's going to happen. Now, why do we preach them? Because we want the wicked to repent. That's why we preach them. So we need to preach even the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. It's clear in them, for God has shown it to them. Just take a look around. You see God's creation. You know that there has to be a creator. You you have a, a phone in your pocket. What do you know about that phone? It came from somewhere. And where did it come from? It came from someone who created that phone. And yet the universe is masterfully more magnificent and complex than even the most complex of cell phones. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That's essentially what we just said. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. Verse 21 here, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things, idolatry. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, that's the bottom line, isn't it? Selfishness. It's desiring what makes the self happy rather than what makes God happy. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. What is this? This is homosexuality. Homosexuality is a sin. We have to preach that. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, a perverted mind, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, yes, that's in there, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. 
That's a long list, but look at verse number 32. Not only those who are doing those particular sinful things, but also knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, but also, notice this, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. If we wave a flag in support of sin, we are approving the ones who are committing that sin. And we will be found in the same camp being judged sinful as the ones who are doing the very things that are sinful. We've got to preach that. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, and also the passage in Galatians chapter 5, the works of the flesh. Let's read these two lists. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now look, when I read this, it troubles me. And I hope that that comes through uh, in my voice. We've all been the unrighteous. And sometimes we still struggle with various forms of unrighteousness. And I'm thankful that we can be saved by the blood of Christ and have access to His grace and His mercy as long as we are continuing to walk in His light. And when we do slip up, we do sin from time to time, we repent, we confess, and uh, we get back up and we keep walking in the light like we talked about in our study of First John. I'm thankful that we have our advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, uh, the righteous, which we talked about in First John. But those who continue in their unrighteousness, what does it say here in First Corinthians chapter six? It says, "We're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if that's if that's what we're doing. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites." Let me pause right here and just say, nor homosexuals, King James Version says the effeminate, that's, the, that's playing the part of a woman when you're a man. Again, today, that's controversial because we've got so many people doing that today. Sodomites, that's uh, the man playing the man part in homosexual sin. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse number 11 says, And such were some of you, past tense, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm so thankful that we can have access to the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing located in Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. How do we find ourselves in Christ? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, 26 and 27 says, For you are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then it says, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I hope that you have done that if you're listening to this. If you're an everyday Christian, you've done that. Maybe uh, you have not done that, though, as a listener of this podcast, and I pray that you would do that before it's eternally too late. Finally, one more passage that we're going to mention. That's Galatians 5. We need to preach these things as well. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. Not a one, not a one 
of the things on this list is to be trifled with, is to be played with, is to be endorsed, is to be encouraged. Um, these are evil, evil things. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, um, and and we'll just go ahead and say it, lewdness. Uh, the modesty discussion comes into play there. If If we're not properly clothed, that's lewdness. Idolatry, sorcery. What is that? That's witchcraft. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries. That's uh, wild parties, or or you know what you whatever you want to call it. And then it says and the like. Anything similar to this stuff, stay far away from it of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verses 22 and 23, and this is where, we're, where we will wrap up. This needs preaching too. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. We need to preach those things. That's a, a eight-part sermon series right there on the fruit of the Spirit. We need to preach that as well as part of preaching the whole counsel of God. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to the Everyday Christian Podcast. As always, this is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature, every day. And I hope that we're doing that as we live the everyday Christian life.